Oh my God, we're two weeks away. Actually, we're less than two weeks away. We're less than two weeks away from the release of The Rise of Skywalker, episode nine, the final movie in the Skywalker saga, and uh, the uh, moment of time where I will pee my pants in front of a large public audience. Um, But there's not just that. We have so much more to be excited about in this recent weeks of... Star Wars world. I mean, we got the Mandalorian still kicking it off. We got Jedi Fallen Order, which I'm still playing. And I also started the Resistance TV show. And we've got TV show announcements for Disney Plus. And <gasps> I'm losing my mind. It's sensory overload. But that's why I do this podcast, to let it all out and kind of free up my mind. So I'm going to break everything down for you here today and talk to you more about not just those things, but also The Force Awakens. This is going to be my Force Awakens review view and for the very first time I'm breaking down that movie because once a week every week I am reviewing one movie from the Skywalker saga film collection and since we are less than two weeks out that means there's only two more left to review and we're going to talk about it here today and I'm also going to go over chapter four and five of the Mandalorian so stick around and listen to the theme song because uh you're listening to Han Talks first I can't believe it's taken me this long to talk about, I think, my second favorite movie of all Star Wars movies, but we're here, and this is episode 30 of Han Talks First. Uh, First of all, I realize I missed out on last week's, Um, I got a lot going on, guys. I recently just moved, and moving is not unstressful. It is very stressful. And uh, I finally got situated in my room. Uh, I got a a new room, a bigger room, where I can uh, put up a shrine of all of my Star Wars collectibles. So I'm very happy about that. But, yeah, so that's, that's why I was a little delayed. And then just the holidays, it was Thanksgiving, I was traveling, a lot of stuff was going on. But I'm back, and I am ready to talk about Star Wars. So, like I said, today I'm talking about The Force Awakens and The Mandalorian Chapter 4 and 5. I'm going to save The Mandalorian talk for the end of this podcast, for those of you who have not listened to it yet. That way you can stay spoiler-free. But before I get into my reviews, I want to talk about all of the Rise of Skywalker press junkets from the press tour that's going on right now because they are really blowing up this movie. I was since like um since April or I'm sorry, since May I was I was asking myself and asking people who listen to the podcast like where where the where the hell is the marketing for episode 9? Like how come we haven't seen anything yet? And I was getting kind of nervous and uh don't Tell me that I'm not, you know, I'm crazy for thinking that because for The Force Awakens, we had a year of this mass push for marketing for this movie. And then the same thing for The Last Jedi. They spent, um, I think the first, uh, like, time we saw Porg was in May before the movie came out. So it's not weird to ask that question, but we're finally getting that promotional push for this movie and it's just weird to me that it took so long but now that it's arrived it makes sense because they're putting all of their eggs in one basket and in the last two weeks here i mean we're getting a a tv spot a day for this movie which is very interesting i think it started on thanksgiving day and they're all really exciting to watch but what else is interesting about them is they all are taking place in the same scenes we're just getting it from a different cut or a different angle different perspective but we're getting footage of all the same sequence which leads me to think that maybe 
all the footage we've seen so far only takes place in maybe the first part of the movie. And we've seen similar marketing before with the Avengers movies, the end game. And they only showed like the first 15 minutes of the movie. So if that's the case for this movie, then I am even more excited because the shots we've seen are beautiful and it can only make me think that maybe the second and third act of this movie will be even more beautiful to watch. And it also makes me happy because it leads me to believe also that the Palpatine will have a bigger influence in this movie and not just this, uh, like last act of the movie he appears and, but it's also interesting to note that everyone on this press tour is talking about the Emperor's presence will be in this movie. I'm emphasizing the word presence because that is an interesting choice of words. That doesn't necessarily mean he will be there in the flesh or that it will be himself. Uh, it could be played by somebody else. I don't know. Just something interesting to think about. Anyway, so let's talk about this press tour, shall we? So... I'm not going to talk about everything that's been going on because there's a lot. So I'm just going to talk about some of the things that interested me while watching all these videos and stuff. Uh, The first thing is I want to talk about J.J. J.J. Abrams is the man. I really am a fan of everything he's done, especially The Force Awakens. I think he's going to deliver on this movie. But what really surprises me is how confident he seems in... The Rise of Skywalker. And I don't know, I could just, just by the way he talks about it, and he's just like, I think everyone's going to love this. I think everyone's going to be satisfied. Uh, I think it brings closure to this movie. Um, and he, the, just the way he talks about it, he just seems very, very confident, and I love to see that in a creator. Now, that could just mean that he doesn't care what anybody thinks about the movie, but the fact that he's happy with what he made just makes me more excited to go see it. And I think that's because of the reception he got from showing the trailers and how positive it was. Because if you noticed from Celebration in April, he looked really nervous or uninterested. Uh, But now I know it was just nerves because uh, he didn't know how people would react to maybe the Emperor. And then after that, he started to show off this confidence and also he's done making the movie so he's probably like got this weight lifted and he feels free and now he can like spend time with his family and like watch tv again you know so i don't know just something to note watch an interview check it out he's he's very confident in this film which is a good thing to have by the way i'm not saying oh mr confident he's i think it's great to have confidence in what you do and i think it'll make for a great movie uh, another big thing is the emotional responses from the other cast members, uh, specifically Richard E. Grant. He went on Twitter shortly after the cast was saw the movie for the first time. This was a couple days ago, actually, and um, this is what he said in the video. He said, quote, I've just seen Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and nothing prepares you for this. I cheered, I shouted, I fist-pumped the air, I cried, I stood and cheered. It's absolutely everything you hoped it would be it was going to be. I'm so proud to be in it, and I can't wait for you to see it. Now, if you've seen the video, you saw, like, tears in his eyes and the excitement on his face, and he was just so happy. (laughs) He looks like a really happy person, really positive person. But, you know, the cast was embargoed to not say anything about this movie afterwards. So the fact that he went to Twitter and kind of um, walked around the embargo and just told everyone how excited he was about it shows how powerful this movie is. And especially with the tears in his eyes and everything. And uh, it just made me even more excited because this is coming from someone who is has been around for all of the movies and seen them all um, evolve up till the very end. And just when he says he went through all these emotions, just, I know that's what I'm going <laughs> to, I know that's how I'm going to react. Um, there was actually a moment in some of these press junkets that I was crying myself and I'll explain to you which one here in a minute. But the next thing I want to talk about is Kylo Ren. So it doesn't seem like there's going to be any Ben Demption 
Sorry for all you guys out there. So Kylo, or sorry, Adam Driver was asked in um, one of his interviews about uh, Kylo Ren and if how he feels about the whole Ben Demption movement from the fans and if Kylo Ren should be redeemed. And he asked, they asked him that question himself. And his response was, Kylo Ren has a different identity, a different definition of what redemption is. He's already been redeemed in his story. I don't think there is a thought of redemption. He doesn't have an outside lens of the events. You know, you know what I mean? That's more of an outsider's view of his world. What does he have to be redeemed for? That was coming from Adam Driver himself. What does he have to be redeemed for? Exactly. That's what I've been saying. He doesn't need to be redeemed. This isn't a um, an Anakin Skywalker story. This is a, a, a Kylo Ren story. It's a, a new person. And just to follow that same storyline of Anakin, just it's, it's really... It's, at that point, it's a remake. It's nothing new. So I really like the fact that maybe, and this could be him just like throwing us uh, a curveball, and maybe he will be redeemed in the movie. And he's just pointing out, why does he have to be redeemed? He's making the audience aware. Like, why does what does he have to be redeemed for? He's making us think about it. So either way, it could go either way. But I, I'm going with uh, my belief in that he's not going to be redeemed, and he's just going to be a bad guy. And that's the thing, too. Why would you redeem... I mean, he's he's the bad guy in this last trilogy. Why would, why would you redeem him? Like, there's... Anyway, okay, let's move on. So this is the part where I got uh, pretty emotional during uh, this press tour, and specifically the Variety press junket. So it was JJ and Chris Terrio having uh, been asked a question about the writing of uh, the writing process of the rise of Skywalker and specifically asked about the uh, finale and how they approached it or whatever. So this is something Chris Terrio said. He said there was a moment in the process when we were struggling with something in the third act. We were in a room with producer Michelle Rejwan and Kathy Kennedy and JJ and I would, uh, we just couldn't get it. So we went outside the room And Rick Carter, the legendary production designer, said, I think the reason you and J.J. can't write this scene is because you don't want Star Wars to end. And then he looked at J.J. and then he said, that's when we knew he was right and that we had to go and we just had to write it. And when he was saying this (laughs) on stage, he was getting teary-eyed. And talking about it. And because he was just like, you know what? You're right. I don't want Star Wars to end, but we have to end it. This is the last movie. And as he's talking about it, uh, JJ is sitting next to him. And then he starts getting emotional and teary-eyed. Doesn't full-on cry, but you can just see they're both getting choked up. And it's really really emotional to watch. And it made me choke up myself. And it just brings awareness again to the fact that, you know, this is the last story of Skywalker. And we have to accept it. And I think it's going to make for a beautiful film. Another interesting thing uh, after that, JJ said he was like, he needed the reason why he hired Chris Terrio was because he thought he was a good writer, but also because he needed somebody to write with on this film because he needed someone there that could experience the world of Star Wars and that excitement that he had for the first time and like just remind him about how special it is and how precious it is to be involved in something like this. And that's why he wanted Chris Terrio. And then they explain more about it. But this makes me very uh, just proud that he is one of the writers on this movie because Chris Terrio knows the canon. He actually watches the animated shows and he reads the comics and he reads the books. He studies the material before even being hired for the job. And that 
just uh, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need someone who understands the lore and the mythology. He even references some EU books on, in some of his other interviews. So the guy knows his material. And uh, I just think having him on board not only helps JJ, but you have like kind of two different um, perspectives coming in on it. Because JJ does not, you know, um, watch the animated shows. <laughs> Probably didn't watch the prequels. I don't know. Uh, he has stated that he's not too big a fan of them. But anyway, <clears throat> let's move on to another thing that happened at the Variety uh, interview, which was also Carrie Fisher's ghost appearance. That's right. Go back and we'll go watch the the stage show. Um, it was a really cool thing. JJ's talking about how like they were working with footage of her to bring her to life in episode nine, and then at one, and then they were like, "We got to match the 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 framing and the lighting." And once he said lighting, the lights part of the lights like like blew out in the theater and then he was just like oh hi Carrie and and then he was like that's such a Carrie thing to do now I don't know how your beliefs are in the paranormal or afterlife but it was just something cool that happened that doesn't necessarily mean it was Carrie Fisher but it was just a really cool thing that happened it could have been staged I doubt it it looked pretty organic but yeah so that's that was a cool thing that happened but going back to Chris Terrio, actually, <clears throat> this is the last thing I'll say about um, this press tour is uh, I just told you he's a big Star Wars fan. He, he understands the, the lore, the mythology, the, the expanded universe, all the material, everything. You know, he studies it. One thing he said that really stuck out to me was that he said, you know, Palpatine's role in the film is significant and not only is it significant, but it doesn't take away from Return of the Jedi. And it doesn't take that third act of Return of the Jedi lightly. He said he understands like that there was closure to that Vader sequence, and they don't want to take away from anything Vader did to sacrifice for his son and killing the Emperor. So he understands where they're coming from, and it just makes you think like, okay, they're bringing him back, but they're not bringing him back just because they have to bring somebody back. They're bringing him back for a purpose and we will find that out. So we still got a lot more press to come and, uh, I'm excited to see it and we'll learn more about the movie up until the 18th when everyone's going to go watch it. So let's move on from that and let's just talk about the force awakens. So, like with all of my reviews, I'm going to start with some of my initial thoughts and reactions upon viewing the movie. Now, of course, I've seen it like a billion times, but uh, this is after I've done like a fast. So, it's a little a little raw. And, but anyway, so, initial thoughts. This movie harkens back to the fun and adventure that was Star Wars. It's just a fun film, just like A New Hope. I know it's pretty much ex- like people say it is A New Hope, and it is. It's A New Hope. It's it's a reimagining t- told telling of A New Hope. But it has its differences, and it has its contrast to it. And in some ways, it's its own thing, but it's really fun. This movie is so much fun. And that's one of the things that is what makes this movie so great to me and what makes it my second favorite of all the films. You know, it's, it has a fun and adventure, but it also has, uh, um, themes to it. Like very, uh, very, I am very tired and I cannot think of words today. It has, purposeful themes to it. So it's not just all fun and games. It has meaning and substance to this story. But the first thing I always just react to is just how how many turns there are and how you can rewatch it over and over and over and still have fun with it. I just don't... It's, it's crafted so well. That's really 
all there is. Uh, another great thing is uh, Han, Han Solo's death scene. That I know a lot of people hate it, but I actually loved it the first time I saw it in theaters. And <clears throat> uh, there's just something about that scene that is just so beautiful. Uh, he's he's talking to his son about like you know I um, I know what I have to do, but I'm I'm like I I I, I know who I am, blah 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 type thing. And Hans is just like, no, come back with us, come back and like join me. And your mom misses you and all that kind of stuff. And he's like. Well, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it and stuff like that. Meanwhile, in the back, so he's trying to bring his son back. Meanwhile, in the background, there's this fight and this, uh, <clears throat> this, um, this loading of the the Star Killer base and draining the sun and everything. And so, like, it seems like Kylo's gonna go go to his father or have some kind of kind of like a um, r- redemption there, um, or join his father again or something like that. And then uh, there's like just great acting performances coming from both of them. And you see like the wheels turning and Adam driver's head. And then the light in the background is finally <clears throat> drained from the sun. So star killer base is fully loaded. And at that moment is when Kylo Ren decides to turn and then he kills his father. And it's just, uh, the, the imagery is so powerful. And so, <clears throat> uh, uh, it's so good. Again, with words. I can't say them. I don't know words. Okay, um, but it's just such a good... <laughs> I kind of sound like JJ there. Um, it's good. Uh, I'm not good with words. And um, yeah, so it's powerful. And uh, it's interesting. And blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah. Now, something else interesting about that scene, there's a theory that Han actually helped his son to kill himself. And some say that Han turned on the saber for Kylo. Because he tell, Kylo tells him, he's like, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have strength to do it. And he's just like, I'll help you. And then he, the saber goes through him, and then Kylo says, thank you. And then Han falls, falls down the, the uh, what is that, the shaft? I don't know. It's weird that there's a walkway with no railings. That kind of thing always freaks me out. And um, But anyway, he falls down. It's just an interesting theory I wanted to point out. But that whole sequence is one of my favorites of The Force Awakens. Another uh, initial reaction was uh, to how small the Resistance and the First Order are. And it's not really too clear in the movie. The movie sets this whole, both sides to be this large-scale organizations um, and, like, universal. But they're actually not. And... You can see it in in the background of those movies. You know they don't have big bases, um, really either of them. And I've been watching the Resistance TV show on Disney Plus recently, and it just it kind of fills in those gaps and it makes you understand a little bit more that both sides, both militaries are actually very small, and they're not these grand. They're not these grand empires or these grand rebel alliances. The resistance is, it's a military operative of the new republic, but they're not directly associated with them. They kind of make their own rules. They're they're almost kind of like this rogue squadron. And the First Order is a completely independent military organization. They have no government system yet they want to destroy the new republic to create their own first order i don't know it's a little it's a little hard to understand <clears throat> and that's when the fun of this movie kind of overshadows what is actually going on in this movie and what it's about it's really hard to focus on the the details that make this story uh, because it's just overshadowed by fun <laughs> and adventure, uh, which for granted, I, we don't need that info. It's just something that people like me want to look into. But it's something interesting that how small these, these organizations are and that the fact that they're fighting each other is just, does it really make a difference in the galaxy at this point? Because they're both so small. 
I mean, yes, the First Order has a Starkiller base and they can blow up planets, right? But the fact that they're so small, nobody's paying attention to that, that's how they were get away, that's how they were able to get away with building this planet that could blow up other planets. So that makes sense. But the fact that the Resistance can't convince the New Republic to listen to them, or was it Hosnian Prime? Um, okay, so... Yeah, I'm going to get into that later when I get into, like, the the nitty-gritty, the nitty-gritty of the review I'm doing. But keep that in mind, okay? But those, those are my basic initial thoughts and reactions. I guess the other thing is the ending of this movie. This is the last thing I'll say about it. Um, the ending of this movie, when Luke is on the island and Rey is handing him the lightsaber, was the most powerful moment of the decade in any movie I have ever seen. Of this decade, as far as I know. I think so. Yeah. Um, That was, I, just like Richard E. Grant said, when I first saw that in the movie, I cheered, I cried, I fist pumped the air, I lost my mind, and then you realize you have to wait two years to see what happens next. And it hurts so much to think about what happened next in the movie because it was so just unexpected and unfaithful to what was set up. I can't get into it now, but next week on my last Jedi review, I will, I will talk about it. But the ending of this movie is so beautiful and so powerful. And the music just really pushes it and pulls those heartstrings and makes it more powerful. Um, Yeah. So that's it as far as my initial reactions to watching it um, again. So let's start talking about some characters. Let's start with Rey, since she's the new main character of The Force Awakens. End of Star Wars, this whole Star Wars thing. So Rey, Mary Sue. That's like the biggest thing that has ever come out of this new Star Wars thing, that Rey is a Mary Sue. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are all wrong, but you're also right. So you're not wrong and you're not right. And here's how we get into it. So what is the title of this movie? The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens in this girl named Ray. Okay. So keep that in mind. Now, Rey is this lady living on Jakku in the desert, and she was abandoned by her family, and she, like, scrubs metal so that she can live. That's it. That's, that's, all, that's all she has. That's all she's got. And um, some, one day, all these events start happening around her, and then she gets powers out of nowhere. The Force Awakens. Okay? So... When people call her a Mary Sue, I guess the definition of a Mary Sue is someone that like doesn't go through any like issues. I, I don't really understand it. But basically, so yes, she is a Mary Sue. But also no, because these powers were given to her by the Force. It is the Force flowing through her. And it chose Rey to possess these powers to obviously go up against something else in the galaxy she's unaware of. And then she comes to find it. And that other thing is Kylo Ren. And once we get into Kylo, I'll bring up uh, this fact again. But also, you have to remember, Rey doesn't want any part of this. So the fact that she is a Mary Sue uh, is just null. Null and void. Because she can't be a Mary Sue if she doesn't want any part of this. But she was chosen. So... Probably because she has nothing to lose, but she wants to be a part of something, is the reason why the Force chose her. So these powers she has, they're not necessarily her powers. She uses them, but they're not hers. They're the Force. And that's the same with Luke and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Vader. They're all powerful, but they're using this power. It's not necessarily theirs. So when people say Rey is this all-powerful Nothing can harm her. You're right. Uh, But you're also wrong, if that makes any sense to you. 
So I'll talk about it more when we get into Kylo. But next I want to talk about Anakin's lightsaber, the return of the famous blue lightsaber. Now, it calls to Rey, right, in that little that little <laughs> mystery box. Because <laughs> we're talking about JJ. <clears throat> so it calls to her in the box. And um, again, she touches it and she has, sees those visions and then she tells Maz, I don't want any part of this. The Force keeps calling her and she keeps saying, I don't want it. This leads into a couple different themes that I'll talk about at the end of this review. But keep that in mind. Now, Maz also tells her, you know, it, the Force is calling to you. Just let it in. Just let in the Force. And the Force is calling to her through this MacGuffin, this lightsaber. This is, um, th- this lightsaber is the, the threshold. This is what, how you communicate with the Force. In, in this movie, anyway, in my opinion. This, this is like... This is the the translator. And it shows her these visions of what's to come. This also leads into some, some themes that I'll talk about later. And now, Kylo says that the lightsaber belongs to him. But we know that the lightsaber does not respond to Kylo. Because at the end of the movie, he calls it, it doesn't go, but it calls to Rey when she uses the Force to pull it. And then... At the end, she lets the Force in, and that's how she's able to beat Kylo. Now, you're probably wondering, or at least some of the people that really like hate this movie, are probably wondering, why can't Kylo defeat Rey? After all, he's had training, right? Rey hasn't. Mary Sue type stuff, right? Well, here we go. So, all we know about Kylo Ren is that he was trained with other Jedi by Luke possibly years ago, and since then, he has been the greatest threat uh, in everything he's done, with no, with no counter um, per, to him. There's been no one to go up against him because he has been the greatest threat. So when someone whom the Force awoke in and has been given power and is being guided by this force, he stands no chance because he has never, he hasn't been trained for this, nor had any threats like compared to this in some time. He has been the only one of that. Now, another one of my theories is also that the reason why Rey got all these powers out of nowhere is because they were given to her by Luke. When Luke cut himself off from the Force, maybe he didn't necessarily cut himself off, but he gave his powers to somebody else. And in his meditation, he, he wished them to go to someone who would use them for good. And that happened to be Ray. Okay, so hopefully that kind of cleared some things up. But now we'll really get into it as far as <clears throat> who these characters are when we talk about themes in this movie. So I think a big one is, of course, good versus evil, but more... More narrowly, fate versus free will. So there's always been a question about whether the Force has destined these characters for a specific path, or whether they get to make their own choices along the way. Uh, I think it's a little of both. Uh, The Force lays out these options, and then the characters choose those choices that that follow. Uh, For example, um, the Force brought Finn and Rey together, right? And then they go, they want to get away from being chased, so they go to the ship, and the ship is blown up, so they're resorted to go to the Falcon. That was the Force switching their path. And then their their choice was to run away, but then their fate cho- led them to the Falcon, and the Falcon brought them to Han. Han giving them the knowledge on Luke, therefore leading them closer and closer to their path, and eventually Rey coming to face with Luke Skywalker. So... The, the whole thing about fate versus free will, I think it's both the fate mainly acting as force and then the free will, how to use the force. Again, force awakens. The fate awakens. Um, destiny, that's the uh, path of a Jedi, right? 
Um, another thing is family. Probably the most important theme out of any Star Wars movie. Um, it's always been a tale of fathers and sons and their sons and their fathers. Um, you know, if, I don't have to tell you. Luke and uh, Anakin. And uh, in this one, I it's obviously about Rey. Uh, still Luke, but mainly Rey. But Rey, who was abandoned and craves to have a family because she never had that experience. And she's given one with Finn. Again, brought in by the Force. They're both outcasts, so they connect and they're, they're, they become family. Um, and fa- you know, families are not solely biological here. And this obligates the characters to do things for them that they might not want to do i.e. going to return BB-8 to uh, a base because um, Ray identifies BB-8 as family then too because she doesn't give him up for food. There's just something something about her as a character that is very <clears throat> warm to other people, not just with a heartbeat, but also cold metal that goes... But, so, yeah, family. Uh, you know, she... she um, Another thing about Ray that I noticed in this watching was Ray craves a father figure, um, possibly a mother, but I don't get that as much. She craves a father figure. She sees it in Han, and when you know they have a strong connection, and when she can't get it in Han because Han is killed, that's why she was so passionate about it and so uh, so hurt by it, and so uh, hate and like filled with hatred after that. Um, cause she wants a father figure and she, she couldn't get it. So now she, she puts her hopes into finding that father figure in Luke Skywalker and <laughs> of course not getting it in that movie either. But again, I'll come back to it. Um, but, and Maz even says it, you know, your family's never coming back, but there is someone who can. And she says, Luke, Luke can be my daddy. Um, it's just, I mean, that's that's the example of like what they do, what what Ray will do, to like how it affects the story and what she'll do to have a family. Which she goes hunting for Luke. Uh, <clears throat> why else would why else would she go look for Luke? She has no reason to go find Luke Skywalker um, to help the resistance. She never wanted to really help the resistance. She wanted to stay on Jakku. She wanted to help BB-8. And she just got slowly pulled into this mess. But and also, why wouldn't Leia just go? Or uh, why wouldn't um, I don't know? Why wouldn't anyone else go? Um, but instead, it's Ray, someone that Luke has never met before, to convince him to come back to the Resistance and help fight. She because she wants a family, and she hopes she can find that father figure in Luke. Now, again, this is just my opinion, and it doesn't have to make sense to you, but. It's just something I found interesting. Those are the two biggest themes I see in this movie. There's plenty more. I don't want to get too long on this review, but those are just some things I I noticed. Now, as far as, like, this is the first installment of a three-part movie string, and so it has to open up a new world, and it has to set up characters, and it has to set up where the story is going to go. So what are some of the setups in this movie? importantly, who is Rey? We know what she wants, but in order to get those things, we have to find out more about who she is. <laughs> we all know how that turned out in The Last Jedi, right? Well, uh, I can't talk about it right now. I'm, I'll talk about it next week. But anyway, who is Rey? Also, what is Finn's fate? He gets knocked unconscious at the end of this movie, and right before that, he struggles to find out what he's fighting for, if he's fighting for anything. Remember, he wants to abandon, uh, just he wants to just run away. That's all he wants to do. And again, but that f- sense of family calls to him and Ray, and he just can't leave Ray alone. And um, <clears throat> now we do see a little bit of that in The Last Jedi. He literally just wants to find Ray. And make sure she's okay, but uh, we'll get to it next week. And um, another setup is uh, Kylo to finish training from Snoke. That is 
That's literally what the, one of the last lines is bring Kylo to me. We'll finish training. Um, obviously because he was upset that he was bested by a girl and wants to, to finish that training. Uh, another thing is, is the new Republic still alive? They blew up the, the capital, um, Hosnian Prime, remember? The Starkiller base blew it up, and along with five adjacent other, or four other adjacent planets. So, what is the New Republic's deal? What is their standing? What is going on? Are they even still in operation? I don't know. All we know is that the Resistance is still fighting for God knows what. But what is the, what is the status of the New Republic and the Resistance? What are What's what's their standing? What what are they what are they what are they fighting for at this point? And then also what is the first order's goal? Now we know well, the first order's goal. What what is it? Well, it's obvious. They want order and they want it first. Bad joke. Uh now I, I saw them as a parallel to what the Rebel Alliance was in the original trilogy. Um just a complete contrast uh flip so they're they're again they're an independent organization very small they they have no higher body to them they're they're just completely on their own and that's what the rebel alliance was in uh the original trilogy there was no government there they were completely independent and that's what the first order is in this trilogy so that's a very interesting parallel um to have and one thing i love about this movie but what is their goal? They they killed uh, the New Republic capital. So what is the goal at this point? What are they going to do? Obviously, Snoke mentioned something about like ending the Jedi and killing Luke Skywalker. But after that, where are they going? What is what's their path from this point? To train Kylo? To train Kylo for what? To kill Rey? Is that it? Do is who is Rey? What? Why is Rey such a big threat? Uh, obviously, there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, and all of this is linked together. Um, back to the fate versus free will. What is the Force's intentions here? It awoke for a reason, right? What is that reason? So I, I, I put all these setups on the table at the end of this review because it's very important going into this next, these next two movies. Because we're getting the last installment of this, where hopefully we'll get all these questions answered. And I think these are a few of the most important things to think about when going into this last movie. And it really just, uh, just, I'm, you know what, I'm really honestly, it's going to be hard to watch episode eight. Um, I haven't watched it. In a very long time. The last time I watched it was once it came out on Blu-ray. I buy them all as soon as they come out. And that was the last time I bought it. Or, I'm sorry, that I watched it. And I haven't watched it since because I just can't. <laughs> I can't do it. And But I haven't given it a solid review yet. And I assure you, I'm going to do my best to make it a an actual review. Um, regardless of my feelings towards it. Um, but, and then, and then after that, we'll go straight into the rise of Skywalker. I'm so excited. All right. But before I say goodbye to you, I just want to talk a little bit about the Mandalorian because we are now over the halfway point of the show and it's almost coming to an end as well as the Skywalker saga. So, uh, this will have spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, it's time to go away and read a book. I just want to say before I talk about the shows that I'm just blown away by how popular this show is. I mean, I don't think any other Star Wars show and or movie has had this type of reception. Do you? I'm talking about the cultural impact as far as meme goes. Uh, I'm not talking about merchandise. I'm not talking about uh, um, like uh, money or income. Uh, I'm just I'm talking about the personal connection with audience to a show, a character, uh, specifically. 
Baby Yoda and how much people are attached to this character, this make-believe character, and how many different groups of people are talking about it. And the fact that this show is now bigger than, um, what is it, Game of Thrones, it passed Stranger Things, and there was one other that I'd never heard of, but it it's now the most popular show um, uh, in, in streaming, in the streaming world, uh, which is al- also, is that true? Because we don't get numbers from... Uh, Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, they don't share their viewing numbers. So I don't know how that fact came about. But if it's true, this it this make it makes sense because I've never seen so much memes or conversation about <laughs> a Mandalorian. And it's funny because we really see more about Baby Yoda than anything else. But okay, so let's jump into spoilers and start off with chapter four. <clears throat> also, it's really weird to say, uh, like, spoiler warning for this, because Baby Yoda is freaking everywhere, and, like, if you're, like, trying to, like, wait to watch this show or something, or you can't watch it at this time, you're kind of fucked. I mean, this this thing is everywhere. Um, and it's also weird to me that everyone in the world is doing a review on The Mandalorian every week. Uh, like, just on YouTube and everything, and, like, really, people aren't really reviewing it. They're just kind of saying, um, oh, it was so good, it was so good, oh, I loved it, oh, nostalgia, oh, Easter eggs. No one's really, like, actually talking about the substance of this material, which kind of bothers me. They're either praising it or they're shitting on it. And I've noticed, actually, a lot of people do not like Chapter 4. And I feel kind of alone to say that Chapter 4 was my favorite episode so far, even over Chapter 5. But So Chapter 4, my favorite. Uh, everyone, everyone who says it's bad is calling it a filler episode. Now, uh, a this goes back to the fact that it is a television show and television shows have fillers. I don't like to call them fillers because that's what TV is. It's a filler. It's just entertainment. There's it's, it, it can have goals, but the whole point of a, having a television show is to have a, a longevity of entertainment. And that's what the essence of The Mandalorian is. Uh, like everyone's saying, it's based off those old serial television shows from the 60s. And that's what this is. Each show is a brand new adventure. And there is a <clears throat> this one through line story, um, which we'll get into in a, in a second. But yeah, so don't call it a filler because that's what we kind of <laughs> signed up for when we found out we were getting a TV show. And the fact that they already greenlit a season two, that means that this story is just going to continue and it's going to unfold slowly. Uh, I think that's part of the problem is just, we're not used to television shows with star Wars. So it's a little off right now. <clears throat> not saying it's poorly crafted, but it's just, it's some, it takes getting used to for something like this. So chapter four, let's just jump right into it. Like I said, my favorite episode so far. Uh, I would like to point out that we have our second live-action female director in Bryce Dallas Howard. Really cool to have her because her father has been very closely um, in sync with Lucasfilm throughout the years. He's obviously made Solo, but even before then, he worked with George Lucas on American Graffiti way back in the day, and also Willow. And he's just been... And an integral part in Lucasfilm since then. So it's nice to see that the family is expanding in the storytelling of this company. But yeah, I thought she did a great job. I think this is some of the best character work I've seen so far in this show. Um, She, of course, is responsible for bringing to life Cara Dune, which is the new character we got in this show. I don't know how I feel about her yet. I, 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 I wasn't too excited for her to come in and 
the reason it, it's not for any, it's, it's obviously the most, uh, petty self inflicting reason I can think of. It's because she reminds me of someone I know and that someone I know, I really do not like. <laughs> and it's just the way she talks and the way she looks and acts is very similar. So that just makes me not like her that much. And it's kind of sad, but she still redeemed those qualities because she is different than the person I know, but she, her character is actually very, very strong, I think in the show. And she of course establishes, uh, she furthers the relationships between other, uh, the baby Yoda and the Mandalorian, which I'll talk about in a second. But anyway, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, everyone knows her from Jurassic world and probably the village. But, yeah, just something about the way she works on character interaction in the show is what really made me fall in love with this episode the most. Uh, Not so much the action, but just the way that the camera flowed through these events, and we kind of got a little bit more perspective from the Mandalorian as far as uh, his personal point of view, um, when he goes through this village and, but also a little bit more about his history. We of course learn more about his past, about how he was brought into the Mandalorians and that he can't take his helmet off around people because this is the way, of course, um, still trying to dive into it, but we kind of got, we kind of breached those questions a little bit more. And so I think this episode was very pivotal in kind of getting to answer some questions we've had since the beginning, uh, especially about uh, the Mandalorian's past. But he really opened up to this one woman in the village, which was interesting to me because it kind of shows that, you know, the Mandalorian comes from uh, being a foundling, brought into the Mandalorians, brought into a clan of people that doesn't show their face and that is always trying to prove themselves uh, worthy. Just uh, having an ideal that you can be bigger than something that is yourself and just having a goal that is kind of unreachable, but just striving to be the best you can be, all while not showing your face and kind of keeping the intimacy um, locked inside of you. So the fact that he is attached to this baby Yoda is one thing that kind of shows us a little bit more about him and that he's kind of interested in forming a relationship with this woman who asks him about his helmet, the village woman. Uh, I just think it shows that he is someone who has always longed for having a family and just living a quiet life. And part of that, his relationship forming with Yoda is when uh, Cara Dune tells him, calls him your boy, his boy, like you and or the, I'm sorry, I think it was the village woman. And she was like, you and your boy can live a happy life here. He doesn't reject the fact that it's his boy. And that's what I found most interesting about that line, because I immediately thought he was going to redact it and just say, no, I'm just protecting him until it's all over. But he fundamentally cares for this child, and he has accepted it as his own. And I think that shows great character development in him. So I take him as a guy that wants to show his face. He wants to be seen by everybody. But in order to for other characters to see him, they are going to have to really, I guess, fall in love with the man outside of the shell or inside the shell without seeing his his face, his body, or anything like that. So I really love this episode because it really dives into that a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, other than other than that, there's really um, nothing else I want to touch on with this episode. It was my favorite. I thought just the whole the whole adventure side of it, where there he stumbles across this village and they ask him to be a mercenary and take care of the raiders. I just thought it was a fun story, and it's my favorite so far. Now, a week later, we move into chapter five, and what was it called? The Gunslinger. Chapter five, the Gunslinger. Um, (laughs) Dave Filoni's back and there's really only one thing I want to talk about with this episode because 
honestly, I think you can watch, you can go, if you're, if you're watching the show, you can skip chapter five and you probably understand what's going on in chapter six. Honestly, I didn't really see anything too motivational in this episode or important. It just, it, this, this felt like that filler that everyone's talking about. But even then, you know, we set up two new characters and even though the one woman died, we know that people do not stay dead in Star Wars. So there could be a return of their existence in the show. I I did enjoy the 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 mechanic woman and taking care of the baby and trying to get extra money for taking care of it and all that kind of stuff and um just the Mandalorian saying thank you. It's interesting how the further he gets along in his story, he becomes more uh, appreciative towards the people around him. In chapter four, he was telling the village woman how thoughtful she is and how caring and how like sweet she is. And then in chapter five, he's just like, thank you for watching my boy and stuff like that. And, you know, in chapter one, he wouldn't have acted like this. He would have, he, he would have just been like, it would have stayed silent. He's becoming more vocal throughout the show. I think that's interesting too. And I think it all stems from baby Yoda and how in order to protect him, he has to be vocal about it. But the really one thing I wanted to talk about with chapter five is the one that thing, the thing that stands out to me the most is the music. Um, like I said, in, I think last week's episode, I think the music of the Mandalorian is the weakest part not that it's bad, but that it just doesn't make sense with the content on screen. I I said before that I feel like the the music is trying to catch up with the action and just do a play-by-play, kind of recapping what's going on on the screen, and it doesn't really fit into this puzzle. But and it also it's also random. It was very random. Chapter four was kind of transitioning, and now chapter five, I felt like the music was exactly where it was supposed to be. It has evolved tremendously, and I can't stress that enough. Um, a lot of people don't listen for the music, but it really affects the tone of the stories and the overall um, uh, Mandalorian in general. Um, he still has the main theme. Uh, the Mandalorian theme running throughout the score, but there's also, it's also a lot bigger score. It's more full and it's also, it goes into the roots of the classicism that John Williams had before while still staying minimal. And that's really interesting to me as well, because it's this grand, huge score, but it's not played by 150 musicians. There's, uh, it's probably like a 10, maybe 12 piece, uh, group of musicians playing the score, but it really has improved a lot. It feels like it fits. There wasn't a moment in this chapter that I felt like it's out of place or it's trying to catch up with the ap- action in the film. It definitely complements it very well. So the biggest achievement from chapter five, I believe, is the music. Everything else, really, it's fun to watch. It's entertaining, but I don't think anything is true important to really talk about in this episode because there really was no extension on the story or didn't learn too much more about what's going on in the world. It was just kind of, it was, it was the new, it was like a retelling of a new hope. Again, he goes to Tatooine, he has a child, he has to save, um, you see Moss Eisley, you, he finds the the guy who's stretched out in the booth like Han Solo. It was just, I don't know, it felt like a, a retelling of an old tale. Um, but yeah, Go back and listen to the music. It's very interesting how Ludwig van Gorsen has has evolved already in such a little amount of time. Anyway, so that's it, really, for my Chapter 4 and 5 Mandalorian review. Um, it was short. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like this is the turning point. We're past the halfway point, so now 6, 7, and 8 are really going to kick it in high gear, and we're going to figure out what the hell is going on. What I would like to see happen is I would like to figure out what what the importance is of baby Yoda, why everyone's trying to look for him. I think we deserve to know that at least by now we've seen him go to like seven different planets and get followed. So I think now it'd be nice to look for some answers. Maybe the Mandalorian, maybe he should be the one looking for answers rather than someone else coming in and explaining what's going on. Um, But yeah, that's about it. 
interesting, um, something to keep in mind for a while, continue to watch. Chapter 7 of The Mandalorian, which comes out on the 18th. I know it's two weeks away, but it will have a sneak peek to The Rise of Skywalker. And it comes out right before the early release. So, what could it be? I don't know. We've already had like a billion TV spots, so <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys for listening so much. Um, and stay tuned. I'm doing... Uh, there's only a short amount of time between these next two episodes, so tune in Monday for my The Last Jedi review, and we'll talk some more Star Wars. Now, somehow, someway, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.